This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures today. We want to study beginning today on the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll try to get that started here. 1 Thessalonians, this is from Raymond Kelsey. He wrote on the book of 1 Thessalonians in his work, The Living Word Commentary, page 17. And I quote him. 1 Thessalonians gives a wonderful insight into the evangelistic message of Paul. Paul gives a recapitulation of some of the things he had preached in Thessalonica, conveying to the reader what is or what the substance of apostolic preaching was in its early form, unquote. Whenever you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, we have the greeting, first of all, from Paul to the Church of Christ in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, whenever we look at the names of the three who greeted the church in Thessalonica, they were well known. There were Paul, uh, Silvanus. Uh, Silvanus is Silas's Roman name. Silas is his Jewish name. And then Timothy. Well, Paul came to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. We go to Acts chapter 17, and we look at verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. All right, we're going to have kind of a time stamp here as well. It mentions there that Paul reasoned with them for three Sabbath days. So we're looking at three weeks there. So Paul, on his second missionary journey, wasn't there very long because of the things that were taking place there in Thessalonica. We look a little bit further down in Acts chapter 17, and we see some of the things that were taking place. When you get to verse 5 of Acts chapter 17, it says, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Verse 6. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. The word security there means a bond. Verse 10, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. All right, so we know then that Paul wasn't there for a very long time in the city of Thessalonica after the church had been established. Now, Silvanus, again, this is uh, Silas's Roman name. Silas is his Jewish name or his Hebrew name. Paul chose him for his companion on the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 15, verse 40, but I want to begin just a little bit prior to that in verse 36. Acts 15, 36 and following. It says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, this was Barnabas went with him on his first missionary journey, now continuing verse 36, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. 
and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so short between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So Silas there was taken with Paul on his second missionary journey, and he would have been with him there in Thessalonica. So Silas was also a well-known individual. And Luke refers to Silas as a prophet in Acts chapter 15, verse 32 where it says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So Luke refers to Silas as a prophet. Now Timothy, <clears throat> he accompanied Paul on a second missionary journey and was later chosen to go to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage the brethren there. When you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you... <clears throat> and to comfort you concerning your faith. So there in Acts chapter 17, or Acts chapter 16, you know, they had gone through Berea there in the end there of Acts chapter 15. Uh, verse, 40, uh, verse 41 says they went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Then you get into chapter 16, it says, Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3 says, Paul, or him, would Paul have go forth with him? And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy there accompanied Paul, as they were traveling through this area, <clears throat> of course, they had gone to chapter 16. They went to Philippi. They were in the Philippian prison. They were released from that. And whenever they left uh, Philippi there, verse 40 of chapter 16, says they went out of the prison, entered to the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comfort them, comforted them and departed. Verse seven, or chapter 17, verse 1 says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and of Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. All right, now whenever they left Thessalonica, they went to Berea, as we have already seen. <clears throat> and then Paul traveled to Athens, down in chapter 17, verse 16. Says now while Paul waited for them at Athens. So there we have, well, we'll read verse 15 as well. And they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come with him at all speed, they departed. So Paul went to Thessalonica at that, or excuse me, went to Athens at that point, and he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to meet him there. Uh, that did not happen. They did not meet him there in Athens. They met him further on down the road in Corinth at that point over in chapter 18. Well, the recipients of the letter of the first Thessalonian letter are referred to as the Church of the Thessalonians. There in second or first Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1 again, it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
All right, so the church of the Thessalonians, these are the ones that obeyed the gospel in Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17, verse 4. It says there, Acts 17, 4, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. All right, so that congregation there then, has a spiritual relationship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is shown by the little word in, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word there translated in is the word en, E-N. Strong's gives the definition of E-N or in as a primary preposition denoting a fixed position in place, time, or state. So they were in a fixed position. The church is in a fixed position, and that is God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he also says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Grace and peace be unto you. All right, we drop down to the end of that verse. It says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is the blessed result which comes to those who accept God's grace. We know that God's grace is offered to everyone. You go to the book of Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And you look down there in verse, well, verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life that God, which cannot lie, promised before the world began. All right, now we know that God's grace is offered to everyone, and we have to access God's grace. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we're looking at Romans 5, 1 and 2 again now. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we access God's grace, and his grace is offered to all, but we have to access God's grace through or by faith. Faith is how we access, or an obedient faith is how we access the grace of God. Now, there is thanksgiving for the congregation in Thessalonica. They're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Again, Paul knew the facts concerning their conversion and the persecutions they were having to endure. Go back and look at Acts 17, 5 through 8 again. Acts 17, 5 through 8. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So Paul knew what was going on there in the city of Thessalonica. Again, they rushed them and Timothy and Silas out of the city there after they had been there again the time frame maybe a month maybe a little longer but not very long at all had Paul and these three other two men spent there with the church in Thessalonica so Paul made special mention of them in his prayers 
asking for God's help and blessings upon the church in Thessalonica. Now, Oren Rhodes, in the seventh annual Denton Lectures, on page 51, made this statement concerning Paul's prayers for the church in Thessalonica, and I quote, He knew their prayer was so necessary for their continuance in such a wonderful fashion as the devil would constantly be banging at their door, unquote. And isn't that the same today? The devil is always banging at the door to try to get Christians to fall away from God. And we have to be faithful to God and we need to pray for one another just as Paul was praying for those in Thessalonica that they would remain faithful. We need to pray that we remain faithful and that our brethren remain faithful as well. Now, the elements of good Christian examples were found there in the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. So there we find, first of all, Paul remembered in his prayers their work of faith. Work and faith go together like two pieces of a puzzle. The word work there is from the Greek word ergon, and Strong's defines ergon as to work, toil, as an effort or occupation. So their faith was working. Now you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you find several instances there of individuals whose faith worked. In Hebrews 11:7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You know, back in Genesis chapter 6, God warned Noah that he was going to send a flood, told Noah to build an ark, and he gave him the specifications for the ark and the things that Noah was to do to prepare things ready for the flood. Well, because of, Noah, of God's warning to Noah, Noah went to work. It took him a hundred years to build that ark. But do you think Noah says, well, God, I believe you're going to do that, but you're going to save me anyway. I don't have to do anything. Do you think faith without works there in Noah's day would have saved Noah? The answer is no, because God told Noah what to do. And you'll notice there, he was warned of God of things not seen as yet. By the, before the flood, there had never been rain. You go back to the book of Genesis again. Get back over here in Genesis. I'm working with a new Bible, so it takes a little bit longer to turn the pages at this time. But it mentions there in Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. It says, Every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So there had never been rain. Noah had never seen rain. The world had never seen rain. And yet, Noah believed God that it was going to rain. That's what's mentioned there in Hebrews 11:7, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. There had been no floods. There had been no rain. And yet, he moved with fear and prepared that ark. Now, Noah had to get out, he had to cut down the trees, he had to cut up the lumber, he had to put it all together and do exactly as God had told him to do, so he didn't have just a little task in front of him. But what about faith and works? In James chapter 2, 
look at verses 17 and 18. James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. All right, how can anyone show faith without doing the works that faith demands? It's impossible. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, there, Galatians 5, 6, Paul writes, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So the Thessalonians there, they had a faith that worked. Your work of faith. Faith is dead if there is no work involved. Now, Paul also mentions there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. The word labor there, this is, is kapos, and Thayer's third definition says, intense labor united with trouble and toil. They were laboring in all the persecution and the opposition that they were having. The labor of love, the word love, there's the Greek word agape, and Thayer defines that word as brotherly love, affection, goodwill, love, and benevolence. That kind of love makes us willing to labor and suffer for those that we love. We will labor and suffer to teach others the gospel. We will labor and suffer to be pleasing to God, even in the face of severe persecution. Now, the next thing Paul mentions there in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, and the next one is patience of hope. Patience of hope. The word patience there is translated from the Greek word hupomene. Strong's defines hupomene as cheerful or hopeful endurance, constancy. Thayer defines the word patience as this way. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Kind of goes back to Strong's definition, cheerful or hopeful endurance. We can endure with this type of patience all of the calamities of this life that we may face. But he mentions it's the patience of hope. Hope is from the Greek word elpis. Strong's defines elpis this way. A primary word to anticipate usually with pleasure. Expectation, abstract or concrete, or confidence. They had hopeful endurance because of their confidence in God. They knew that God would do what God said he would do. They would be facing persecutions, yes. They may have to go through some severe trials, maybe a fiery trial, as Peter mentions there in 1 Peter. But they could endure it because of the hope that they have for that world which is to come. Their hope of future blessings led them to joyfully bear with patience all the trials that they were facing. And God looks upon us, and he will reward and bless us for the trials we face and endure for his sake. Now, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, now verse 4, Paul links the actions of the Thessalonians with their relationship with God. 
1 Thessalonians 1, 4 says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Their faithful actions proved they were elected of God. The question becomes, how are we elected? Well, election is based on our willingness to be chosen. In Matthew 22:14, Matthew 22:14, Jesus said, "For many are called, but few are chosen." All right, how are we called? We're called by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, when that choice is presented to us, the call of the gospel, and we choose to obey, then we have elected to do what God set forth for us in order to be saved. Now, when that choice is presented to us and we choose not to obey, then we have chosen not to be elected to do what God has set forth for us to do in order to be saved. So there is not God going out there and choosing this individual and that individual and rejecting others. No, he calls everyone and all those that accept that call when it is presented and are obedient to God, they are the ones who are elected. Those who do not choose to be or to do what God has commanded are not elected. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Acts chapter 2 verses 36 through 38, we have individuals who were faced with a choice. Acts 2, 36 to 38, Peter said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So right now they are faced with a choice. Well, they didn't know what to do. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now Peter's going to give them the choice. Then Peter, verse 38, said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's the choice. They can either accept what Peter said and repent and be baptized for, unto, toward, is the little Greek word ace there. It does not mean because of, as some try to say, you look up in Strong's and Thayer's and Moulton's and all your other things, lexicons and things like that, you're not going to find it meaning because of. It is for or unto or toward the remission of sins. So they had a choice, and that day 3,000 accepted what Peter said, and their choice was to be obedient. Verse 41 of Acts 2 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 sounds like a lot. But whenever you look at all of the people that were in Jerusalem for those feasts, the Feast of Passover and then the Feast of Pentecost, there were many that chose not to be elected of God. Now, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the reasons are given for the certainty of their election, and that's verses 5 and 6. First of all, the word came to the Thessalonians with power. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Therefore our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. 
All right, first of all, he says, for our gospel came. The gospel, the word preached. When the gospel is preached, the power of God is turned loose. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel came to Thessalonica with power as well. And the gospel is the power of God. The word of God did not come to Thessalonica by enticing words of human wisdom. Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. He says there in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Again, that would be the miracles that were being performed there. Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, we didn't come there trying to trick you or fool you in any way. We came preaching, yes, but we demonstrated with the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit that these words were from God. So both the messengers and those being taught saw the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4 says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So right there gives us an idea that, you know, the purpose for miracles we know from Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Mark chapter 16, verse 20 says there, and they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following amen. So the purpose of miracles was to confirm the word of God that happened in Thessalonica, that happened in Corinth, everywhere that they went teaching the word of God, those signs and miracles followed them, God verifying that their messengers were from him. And the Thessalonians became followers of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. All right, first of all, he says, you became followers of us. Uh, the Greek word memetes, we might hear our word mimic in that. Strong's defines memetes as an imitator. They were imitating those who were writing there, Paul, Silas, and Timotheus. They received the gospel in much affliction, as we've already read there in Acts chapter 17, but they had joy in their affliction. In their hearts there was gladness that rose above their adversities. And though or through their uniting joy with their afflictions, they were imitating Paul Jesus and others. Let's go back to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And let's begin reading there in verse 40. This is after the apostles there had been brought from, taken before the council. Gamaliel had, or he had made his speech there before them. And verse 40 says, and to him they agreed, him being a male, they being the council there. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41 says, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So they were, the Thessalonians there were imitating here the apostles who united joy with their affliction there for the cause of Christ. Uh, joy is not a normal emotion that goes along with pain, is it? It must have its origin in the Holy Spirit. It says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, says that not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So right there, you know, we see joy is not an emotion that just goes without, you know, goes along with pain. You know, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, I go, well, that was so wonderful. No, <laughs> I may cry or whatever, but joy does not go along with pain. It must have its origin in the Holy Spirit. We are right there, verse 5 of Romans 5, and the hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So right there, we can joy in tribulation because of what the Spirit has revealed to us in the Word and the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. Now the Thessalonians received the word in much affliction and joy that had the Holy Spirit as its source, in other words. Now the church in Thessalonica, Church of Christ there, was a great example to others. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. You know, we need to set an example so that others may imitate it. And that's what Paul had done for the Thessalonians, and that's what the Thessalonians were about to read had done for others. First of all, verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians 1. They were first an imitator, then an example. Verse 7 says, So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So they were, Paul and Silas and Timotheus had set an example there. Verse 6, you became followers or imitators of us. And because of that, they became examples to everyone in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, the word so, there, so, it means therefore. Because they imitated the writers, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and Jesus, they became examples. Macedonia was northern Greece. Achaia was southern Greece. Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. And Corinth was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. Well, the word of the steadfastness of the church in Thessalonica in that furnace of affliction they were in spread not only through Greece, Macedonia, and Achaia, but even beyond, excuse me, beyond that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. The word sounded there, the Greek word translated sounded means echoed. It just echoed throughout not only the region there, Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere that their faith was spread abroad, their faith to Godward. So it was not sounded out by men, or excuse me, this was sounded out by men and women in their daily conduct. Their influence because of their steadfastness in persecutions, their spiritual prosperity, 
and their missionary labors was sounded forth in many different places. Uh, Raymond Kelsey, in page 33 of his book that we quoted earlier, stated this, and I quote him now. They seem rather to be saying that Thessalonica, a city strategically located on the Ignatian Road as well as on a harbor, had become a sounding board from which reports went in all directions, unquote. So Paul then just basically says, we don't need to speak anything about that. Their faith had the stamp of reality. It was shown in many other areas. The good they were doing was undeniable. So they did not need to say anything else about that. Well, they, this is talking about those that had heard of their faith, know the results of Paul's preaching in Thessalonica. And Paul mentions that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. It says, For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So again, they, they, those that had heard of the faith of the Church of Christ there in Thessalonica, they're they're showing them what manner entering in they had unto you. The results were greater among the Gentiles than they were among the Jews. We go back to Acts 17, verse 4. It says there, you know, they're in the synagogue, it says, some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. All right? Now, conversion is faith in God through Christ. Repentance is turning away from sin. Then baptism for the remission of sins. Look at Acts 3.19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. This is a parallel passage, basically, to Acts 2.38, where Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Uh, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repent, be converted. Sins blotted out in baptism. Times of refreshing there. Well, the Thessalonians had turned from serving idols to serving the true and living God. All right, that separation from idols and their dedication to God shows the result of the Thessalonians accepting the gospel. Now, the majority there of the people that lived in Thessalonica were idol worshipers. Their ancestors were idol worshipers. Yet the gospel has the power to change such strong false religious ties. <coughs> As an example, there were probably strong ramifications against them. You know, grandma and grandpa worship Zeus, and great grandma and grandpa worship Zeus, and they would have said, and I'm going to worship Zeus too. It's like a man told me one time whenever I was door knocking down in Texas, knocked on the door, told him I was working with at that time the Howe Church of Christ, and he just said, well, Grandma and Grandpa were Methodists, and I'm going to stay a Methodist till the day I die. It's the same thing there with Zeus or whatever false god. Grandma and Grandpa worship Zeus, and I am too. Well, the gospel has the power to change that strong religious tie, that false religious tie. The Thessalonians were now living in expectation of the second coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. All right, Paul refers to the historical fact that Christ was raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, there and while Paul was in Athens, he said this, Acts 17, 30 and 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. It was a fact that God, Jesus was raised from the dead, and the Thessalonians were now looking forward to that day whenever the second coming of Christ would occur. Well, when Christ ascended there in Acts chapter 1, angels told the apostles that he would return. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It says there, and while they looked steadfastly, they being the apostles, toward heaven as he, Jesus, went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So he is coming back. Charles Erdman, in the work, The Epistles of Paul to the Thessalonians, on page 36, stated this, and I quote, A crucified, risen, coming Christ is the object of a believer's faith and love and hope. He already has given deliverance from the guilt and power of sin, he will deliver from the coming wrath of God. So God's wrath is coming. And he mentions that, and we'll look at this later as well when we get into the Second Thessalonian letter. But in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning there in verse 6 and reading down through verse 10, Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10, says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you is believed in that day. So the Thessalonians are preparing themselves. They're waiting for the Son of God to come from heaven for his second coming. And we'll discuss more of that later on as we get further into our study of Thessalonians. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul greatly commends the church of Christ in Thessalonica. He mentions his thanks for them he mentions his prayers for God for them because he knew the great trials of their faith that they had to endure and they were overcoming those trials. He knew of their great faith and the superb influence that they had on others, not only in their city, but in the region there of Macedonia, in the region of Achaia, and then wherever their faith was known throughout the world at that time, their, their faith toward 
God was great and a great influence they had. Paul knew of the dedication that the Thessalonians had to the truth in turning from false religion to the truth and then he knew of their dedication in their anticipation of Christ's return. You know, the question is, can that be said of us? Are we patiently waiting for God's Son to return from heaven? Are we waiting for that day? Are we preparing for that day? Is our faith so great that we are willing to endure the suffering and the persecutions that come our way because we have that hopeful endurance. We have that expectation that someday on the day of judgment that we will hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are we ready for that day? Well, again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ there in Moody, Missouri. If you're ever in the Moody, Missouri area, come and visit with us. We're located on the corner of Highway E in Moody, and you can't miss that corner because it's the only one that's there. You just drive up there, and we will gladly receive you. You can come worship with us. We meet on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible class and 11 o'clock for worship. We meet again at 6 o'clock Sunday evening for worship. And then on Wednesday evening, we have services at 6 o'clock for Bible classes. So I want to welcome you to come and be with us if you're ever in the Moody, Missouri area. We're kind of south of West Plains, if that kind of helps you understand where we're at. But again, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram, and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.